Hello everyone, this is Flo from the Great War Channel Podcast. Today with a rather interesting and special episode because today I'm not going to talk to an external scholar or expert, but I'm going to talk to, well, Indy actually. Hi Indy. Hi Flo. Uh, we are indeed going to talk amongst ourselves today, although we are not in fact in the same room. Uh, but anyhow, what we're going to talk about today is the city of Baku in 1918. Now, we talked a lot about the whole Caucasus region in regular episodes for like the past four or five months. But I think it's important to look at just Baku, the city, in greater detail. And thanks to the help of Nijat Azminzadeh, and I think I'm saying his name right. Anyhow, I know a lot more of that detail. He is a fountain of knowledge about this. Yeah, I know that by the time the war began, Baku had become one of the world's major oil hubs and this war was fought, well, with a lot of oil. And uh, by this time in 1918, meaning when this is recorded, August 1918, well, we kind of live in the future 2018, um, but in 1918 everybody was trying to get the oil in Baku. The Germans, the Ottomans, the Russians, the British, the Armenians, the Azeris, well, everybody. So, what was going on in Baku itself, Indy? Good question. But let me backtrack first and give you a little background, okay? Until the 19th century, Baku was just a fortified trade port of the Caspian Sea. In 1807, its population was just four and a half thousand people. The year before that, it had been annexed by the Russian Empire. And it grew and grew as the century progressed because of its oil and gas resources. Um, in 1847, the first modern oil well was drilled in the region. The Baku oil boom began and uh, kerosene, paraffin and, and other factories sprang up, right? Foreign capital began flowing in and people like the Rothschilds and the Nobels opened offices there. Other than oil-related industry, there were tobacco factories, mills, mechanical plants. They were all established, and it became one of the empire's major industrial centers. So, by 1913, the population had soared to 215,000, up from 4,500 100 years before. So it was pretty cosmopolitan. Aside from the three major nations, Azeris, Armenians, and Russians, there were Germans, Poles, uh, British, you name it there. And it had a very European flavor. It had theaters, mansions, horse-drawn public transport, beautiful architecture. And of course, just from its location, you also had a huge Muslim presence and influence, which is not a surprise since in the 1897 Russian census, Islam was identified as the second most common religion in the whole Russian empire. Ah, oh, yeah, really. I didn't really think about that, but it makes sense. That is, in fact, true. You can find that census online if you Google it. Anyhow, Baku became a center for political thinking. From a national side, it became a center of the Azeri national renaissance. But politically, it was a big melting pot for Mensheviks, Bolsheviks, socialist revolutionaries, and, and others, right? What was already a complicated ethnic and political situation in the city made worse by centuries of Christian Armenian and Muslim Azeri tensions that had resulted in massacres a decade before the war, turned to an open fight between parties when the February Russian Revolution broke out in 1917. And that revolution was probably felt down in Baku as well, right? Well, kind of, yeah. I mean, already in March, a Baku Soviet was organized, mainly of SRs, socialist revolutionaries, and Mensheviks, but with a few Bolsheviks. The proletariat, however, was mainly concerned with economics. Prices had increased dramatically over the war, in many cases several hundred percent. So that Soviet failed, and new elections were held in October. 
the local Azerbaijani, who made up just over a fifth of the population, and other Muslims, they were all represented by the Musabat party, receiving 40% of the vote. The SRs were popular among the third of the city that was Russian. Armenians were another 20% of the city and were represented by the Dashnak Sutun party. The small Menshevik vote came from the labor aristocracy and the small Bolshevik vote from Russian unskilled labor and Persian migrants in the oil fields. So the Musavat, the Azeri guys, they won. Ah, see, the Musavat would not join the Soviet. So that whole 40% of the voters were unrepresented in the government. And the Soviet fairly quickly was run by a left SRs and Bolshevik coalition with Armenian Bolshevik Stepan Shalmian as chairman. The Bolsheviks had a couple of advantages over the other players in this game. They had a singleness of purpose. They had a willingness to use any means necessary to achieve their goals. So, over SR protest, they formed a Red Guard to do just that. Then came the October Revolution. Like right after that. Yeah, right after that. The Baku Soviet recognized the new Bolshevik government in Moscow, and they continued consolidating power in Baku. Okay, their position was not as strong as it might sound on paper. There was a huge famine in the region, during which uh, many people died of starvation, and this was caused by grain hoarding, so it wasn't just like a lack of, of, of food around. And the Bolsheviks also had rivals for power. There was deep enmity between them and the Musavat party, and they were both taking measures to ensure victory. Also, by the beginning of 1918, Baku was in constant fear of ethnic riots, and the city was physically controlled by three armed groups. Dashnak Sutun's armed Armenian Armenian force, well-armed, well-organized, and experienced. Musavat's Muslim force, well-armed, but not as well-organized or as experienced. And the Red Guard, which was none of those things. In January 1918, the battle lines were drawn. But this triarchy in Baku, though, had actually resulted in chaos throughout the whole Baku government. In the Mugan region, a terrible ethnic war between Russian immigrant peasants and the Azeri population began. Now, the Russian atrocities included killing anyone, regardless of sex or age, and there are literal reports of children's heads beaten in. The Azeris responded in kind with butchery of their own, including impaling, but bilateral massacre was a sad fact of life here in 1918. And then it got worse in March with what are known as the March events. The March events is a very creative name for events that happened in March. The March events. Okay, the port of Lenkoren was a Musavat stronghold, protected by Azeri, who had fought in the savage division of the Russian Imperial Army, which we saw in regular episodes. They defeated the local pro-Bolshevik forces and headed for Baku aboard the ship Evelina. The Baku Bolsheviks were, understandably, alarmed and arrested the Azeri commander upon arrival. But none other than Lenin him, but none other than Lenin himself sent a telegram to Xiaomian warning him to be more careful and less provocative. Xiaomian released the commander, but but there was soon another incident. On March 30th, the Soviet received unfounded information that the Evelina gang was about to rise against the Bolsheviks. Local commissars succeeded in disarming the Evelina men but the Azeri masses were outraged, and also a couple of the commissars had been killed, and now shooting began in the streets. By 6 p.m. on March 30th, 1918, Baku was a battlefield. Trenches were dug, barricades erected, the whole thing. The Bolsheviks realized, though, that they could not win against both of their enemies, the Armenian Dashnak Sutun and the Azeri Musavat, or possibly even against one of them without allies. So, 
On the eve of civil war, they found such allies. Mm -hmm. The Baku Mensheviks, old enemies of the Bolsheviks, declared that they would support the Soviet. Also, the SRs pledged themselves to fight against pan-Islamism. The Dashnak Sutun's position was uncertain, though the Armenian National Council proclaimed neutrality. Anyhow, the battle began, right? The first day went well for the Azeri, but by the second, the tide had turned. See, the Armenian National Council tried to prevent Armenians from joining the fighting, but the Dashnak Sutun Committee now decided to take an active part in the struggle and began an offensive against Azeri positions. So the fighting now became more national-based, as more and more Armenians started fighting against the Azeri alongside the Bolsheviks. The Bolshevik artillery began selecting Muslim targets, like, like the Juma Mosque and the Muslim Charitable Association building, or, or the houses of wealthy Azeri. Fires broke out, and the situation for the Azeri was soon so dire that a mass exodus from Baku began. And the Armenians, seeing their old enemies running away, then set out for revenge. And the fighting continued until most of the Muslim population either left the city or was killed. On the fifth day, the city was still burning, but the fighting was over. And according to an investigation by Special Committee in 1919, a quarter of the city's Azeri were killed. So the Bolsheviks won now. Well, it's, it's not quite that simple, but their position was a whole lot stronger. I mean, the Musava in Baku was destroyed, so the Bolsheviks began to eliminate other opposition. The Armenians were weakened by the fighting, and they were afraid of an Ottoman advance into the Caucasus, because the Armenian genocide was still a thing. So they accepted a Bolshevik ultimatum to disband some of their troops and have the others join the Bolsheviks' Red Guard. Armenian and Menshevik newspapers were then closed down, and the Bolsheviks became the only power in Baku. On April 25, 1918, the Baku Commune was declared. They then extended their power to the rest of the region, much of which was Musavat-controlled. So around 70% of the Red Guard were by now Armenians. So Shalmin used Azeri-Armenian enmity for his purposes in seizing the region. It is almost redundant to say that massacres followed. There was, however, a price for all this, okay? The Muslims in the region were now fiercely anti-Bolshevik and anti-Soviet. And as June unfolded, the Ottoman army of Islam, beefed up with Azeri irregulars, were preparing to march on Baku to seize the oil reserves. So, yeah, wow, that's... Uh a lot going on. Yep. So here we are in July 1918, with one of the main oil cities on earth controlled, for the moment, by the local Bolsheviks. But they have worsened Christian-Muslim tensions to the point of massacre to gain control. And the most powerful Islamic nation on earth is now marching towards them with some serious revenge in mind. We saw in our regular episodes that the Germans are also scheming for the. We saw in our regular episodes that the Germans are also scheming for the oil. Uh, the British are sending a force to help the city defend itself and stop the Ottomans, and the Russian Soviets want it all for themselves, and it's all coming to a boil. Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually. That is the right word. But you'll see how it unfolds in the regular episodes, and I guarantee, I guarantee, Flo, that however you predict it will, you'll be wrong. The situation there in 1918 was one of the craziest stories of this or any other war. But for all the blood and violence, it certainly is fascinating. And since we didn't really get to go in it, in the, into it in the regular episodes, I thought I would share it here. All right, well, that's all I've got for today, Flo. And thanks for doing this with me. Oh, and thanks once again to Nijat Azminzadeh. He's got a good grip on the story of this whole region. 
All right, see you guys in the funny papers. All right, yeah. Uh, thanks, Nijat, for uh, helping Indy with a lot of the research of this um, podcast episode. I mean, we were thinking at some point of uh, doing a whole special about this, but, I mean, A, we covered the region quite a lot already, and B, there is really not a lot of pictures and, well, visual material about it. So we thought maybe, maybe we can do this in, and turn this into a kind of podcast. I hope you like that. And... We will hear you next time.